There are things that work for you to get an immediate relief from some type of pain or sickness in the moment to get away from the symptoms, the feeling like something is wrong. We can help you with that. But if you want option B, if you want to know what life is like being fully alive, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm sorry, you're going to have to do a little bit, a little bit more work. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. James 5, verse 13. James 5, verse 13. Really good passage. It says, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church, have them pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. James 5. It's a good passage right there. Now, the question of this morning is this. Would you rather... It's flu season, right? Is there anyone, as you can tell, I've got tons of calls this morning. I'm like, We're sorry, Pastor, we got the flu, we're going to be home. Now, imagine yourself, if you had the flu and you're at home in bed, okay? Here's a question for you. Would you rather, option A, just have the feeling of sickness leave, or option B, experience what it's like to be healthy? Option A, have the headache and the aches in their body, the fever go away, or option B, experience what life is like to be truly physically healthy. Which one would you choose? <laughs> B. Now, there's a difference, right? If you go to the doctor and say, doctor, I have the flu, I have a fever, I need help, I want to stop feeling like I have the flu, what will they give you? I heard a lot of different answers. That's not good. It's not good, right? What they will do is send you to Walgreens or to Walmart to pick up the, ma the magic elixir, right? Hey, take this so many times a day for so many days, and guess what will happen? You won't feel sick anymore. Amen. Now, I want you to try this. Go to your doctor. Say, doctor, I want to experience life being fully, physically healthy. What do you think they're going to say to you? Good luck, right? right? Are, are they going to send you to Walgreens, to Walmart, to get the magic elixir to complete physical health? Sorry. No such thing exists, right? It is easy to kind of take away the momentary experience of pain. Of, uh, in the church, we call it sin, right? The sting of sin. It's easy to find a momentary elixir for that. Doctor, I have the flu. I don't want to feel like I have the flu anymore. I need a miracle elixir. What can we give you? So in the church, we'd say, hey, come on the altar right here. We're going to pray. And I promise you'll walk away feeling better. Or better, my marriage feels like we have the pain of sickness in my marriage. We're fighting. We're upset. We're sleeping in different rooms. So what are we going to do? Emergency counseling. There is a pill for that here. 
take this pill. Do this so many times for three months, and we'll get you back to sleeping in the same bed. Amen? But you come to me and say, well, Pastor, I want to have a truly healthy marriage. What am I going to say to you? <laughs> three years. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> right, right. The answer is a very different answer, right? And so sometimes I get a lot of questions about why we uh, spend time speaking about the things that we do. I mean, why don't we just do things the way that I've experienced them in other places? And there are things that work for you to get an immediate relief from some type of pain or sickness in the moment to get away from the symptoms, the feeling like something is wrong. We can help you with that. But if you want option B, if you want to know what life is like being fully alive, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm sorry, you're going to have to do a little bit, a little bit more work than that, right? There's no instant pill. There's no counseling session that will create that. There's no single sermon that will give you that. There's no amazing conference. The worship song just hit the right moment, and the tear came down. I felt the, the goosies. Whew. None of that will ever provide that option B that you're after. If you want to find what that life looks like, you're going to have to do a little more work. You're going to have to dig a little bit deeper, and you're going to have to stay at it a little bit longer. I wish that we could do an altar call, or we could lay hands on you, or I could pray over you, or we could give you the Eucharist. We could do something right now to help you experience what life is like when you're fully connected to the one who created you. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. There's more work to be done. In the Scriptures, we use the word called sin, and we talk a lot about what it is to be entrapped, to be caged, right? The consequences of living in sin, and so the language the apostles would use is like this. Someone living in sin is enslaved to sin. They, they don't have freedom, right? Someone who's a slave does not choose what they do when they do it. They have no control over their lives. Now, I could offer you a prayer to repent from sin. We could lay hands on you. We could lead you through certain steps. And in the moment, you would feel better. You wouldn't feel the, the pain of sin in this moment. The question is, when you leave, would you actually be free of sin? Because what got you, in the, what got you into that position in the first place? Or the person who walks into the doctor's office and they have the flu, what got them into that place in the first place? If they were already living a fully healthy, physically life, what were the chances of them even ever walking into that room? See, there is an illusion of freedom, which is what I do not want to offer you. Because here's the problem. We all want to be the type of people who choose the right answer. I want to be the person who's willing to do everything it takes to get fully healthy. I'm going to find a way to sleep eight hours a day, exercise five times a week for half an hour. I'm going to eat the right macros. I'm going to get emotionally healthy so that the insulin is going healthy. In my body. I'm going to do all the things to experience physical health. Amen. But we all know that if I say, do you want to do three years of work or do you want this pill right here? $3 with insurance at Walgreens. We all know who we are. We all know like what we would choose. So I have a choice. Will I offer you the pill every Sunday so you keep coming back, or do I offer you what I know you really need? To get healthy, 
to experience something you can't buy for cheap. And so in the Scriptures, the language about sin is very complex sometimes. Here's one of the things that happens behind, I guess, the root of sin. This entire series is about trying to help you understand why you believe the things that you believe. And I guess the more accurate way is this. The series is really about helping you understand why you make the choices that you make every single day. Why do I wake up and choose to invest my time here and choose to spend time with this person instead of that person? I choose to work this job instead of that job. I I treat my children this way instead of that way. I choose to root for the Chiefs instead of the Niners or whatever. I mean, I don't really care, guys. See, how are you really free if you don't even know what causes you to make these choices that you make every single day? Why do I choose these foods instead of those foods? Why do I dress this way instead of that way? How come pastors don't walk up here in sweatsuits every single Sunday and preach? That'd be way more comfortable. Why don't we do that? Because there is a network of ideas or beliefs, stories, that literally pull you through your life every single morning. And most of us will go from the cradle to the grave, never knowing what moved us through every single day. In the Scriptures, they would say that we would go through the entire end of our life being slaves to sin, meaning going through life not knowing why these things pull us this way and why we are drawn to these things and not to those things. The Apostle Paul put this way, he said that what we need is to have the the renewing of our minds. He even used this phrase, to put on the mind of Christ, meaning if I could see the world the way that God sees the world, how would I live? Who would I be? That's a question. And so what this series is trying to do for us is trying to show us that we are naturally, without any help, we buy into things. And these story frames truly move you through every minute of your life, whether you know it or not. Imagine a world where someone went to work on the construction site. They walked in with bell bottoms, high heels, and a yellow blazer. Does this make sense to you? Why? True answer should be, I don't know why it doesn't make sense to me. Why is it not okay for me to go to work? Construction site with a yellow blazer and high heels. What's wrong with that, right? (laughs) Come on. We don't know why. And the true answer is this. We don't really want to put in the work to figure out why. It is work, though, right? Because there are people in this room who will, at some point in life, decide that they need to be healthy, and they will change their life. They will change the things they physically eat, change the times they go to sleep. They will change the the things that they do with their body. They will change the investment of time with their body. They will re-alter their life to get something right at some point. And then some of us will die with Doritos on our chest, right? (laughs) At least we'll be happy, amen? We'll be happy. Maybe, right? And so in the Scriptures, we see that for anyone to be free, truly free, they have to reorient the way that they see the entire world. 
Again, the phrase used by the Apostle Paul is the mind of Christ. We're not talking about some beautiful thing that if you pray enough just sets on your head like a crown that comes from heaven, just when it lands on your head, all of a sudden you just understand everything. We're talking about literally taking all that you know of the world and taking another story and transposing it, meaning putting this story over your story. Seeing the world the way that this story tells you the world really operates. Transforming your mind. Transforming your mind. Because if, am I really free if I don't know why I make the choices I make? See, in the Scriptures, the way the Apostle Paul talks about it, it's almost like we are puppets with strings attached to us, being moved through life, right? Here's a common example I see a lot. I'm in the hospital with someone who is just an amazing person. They've, they've done the best they can do. And on their deathbed, they always say some of the similar things. They say, I wish I wouldn't have wasted my life doing this thing, and I wish I would have put my life into what really matters, this thing. Fill in the blank. I wish I wouldn't have spent so many hours at work, and I would have spent more hours with my children, whatever that thing is, right? There's a rewriting of the story. I lived my life thinking this is what I needed to do, this was important, and then in the end I looked back and said, no, I had the whole thing wrong the entire time. I never really was free the way I thought I was. What if you could not wait until the end of your life to reorient your life? What if you could experience what it was like to be free now? And this is the very heart of what we're trying to reach at in this series. And so in this, this kind of vein for us, I want to talk about there are three different beliefs that we have. There are three different types of things that we believe. Three categories. Here's the first one, all right? I want to call them original stories. Meaning, these are things that you believe based solely on where you have lived in your life. Who your parents were, what they believed, their culture, the part of the world, the time in the world. If you would have been born a thousand years ago, your story of if the earth was flat or round would have been very different, right? If you were born in Europe, say 2,000 years ago, your concept of the world would have been one continent, this is the world. There's nothing beyond that. If you sail beyond the edge, you will fall off. How cool would that be? Sounds like a more exciting world to me, right? It's almost, a, it's almost sad that to us, if you keep sailing, you just end up right back where you started. That's kind, of a, that's kind of boring to me, right? No, not to you? Okay. You get the idea. There are stories you believe that are completely outside of you. It's completely based on where and when you were born. Were you born into a family that was Buddhist or Christian? Were you born into a family that was a certain color? Were you born into a certain continent? What were you born into? There are stories that you were born into, and these things shape the way that you see the world, shape the way you understand marriage. Were you born into a broken family? Did your parents, uh, you know, remarry however many times? Did it shape your idea of what marriage could be or shouldn't be? Were you born into a place where the first memories you have are a foster home? You have no idea of what it's like to grow up with a, a, a consistency of adults and safety. Were you always being moved? Uh, did you, did you, were you born to a military family? Were you always moving around all over the country as a child? And you never knew what it was like to put down roots. These are all original stories. These are ways that you view the world based on things that you couldn't control, right? Now, these ideas about the world, most of these are, 
are things that we haven't really tested. We haven't really examined these things. These aren't like things that you would go and ask hard questions to, right? If you were born 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't be like, hey, are you sure the earth isn't round? I just get this feeling. Flat just doesn't make sense, right? Would that be you? No, right? You wouldn't ask questions about stuff like that. They're just kind of in you, right? There's a second type of uh, belief that you have, and we all have all three types, right? The second type is this, experiential knowledge, meaning you used to believe certain things, but then you experienced the other reality, right? These, these might not be things that you always believed, but because of your experiences in life, you've learned that these things are real to you, right? These things have been tested or, or studied out, right? These are like the more concrete things. No one can prove to you otherwise. I know that I know that the world is like this because I experienced this thing, right? These are very emotional beliefs sometimes, very powerful beliefs. And then we've got the third type of belief. Now, these are more rare. Now, we all have them. These are more rare. These are called ideals. These are things that truly We've experienced the opposite to be true. But we want these things to be true. These are things we want to believe even if we're not sure if they're real or not. Okay? Here's an example. I believe that no child should ever be hungry ever. Is that a good idea? Is that a good thing to want to believe about the world? Have you experienced the opposite of that? As a youth pastor, with the majority of my youth group being uh, living well below the poverty line, I experienced that that was not reality, right? That if I wanted these kids to not be hungry, we would have to find a way to send food home with them, right? That the majority of the days of the week, if the school wasn't open, these kids were hungry. I experienced that this isn't real, but I want to believe this is a possibility. It's an ideal. It's not realistic. It's not practical. I haven't experienced this, but it's something that there's a deeper knowledge in me that says this needs to be true about the world. This thing needs to be true. Now, um, one thing I want to do, we're, we're going to pass out some cards, okay? Now, this entire series has been about the idea that for us to believe things, they have to be reinforced more than just mentally, we are beings who experience things mentally, physically, and emotionally. You can even call that soul or spirit, whatever language you want to use for that. But for something to become real to us, we have to experience it more than just in our heads, right? So every Sunday, we have begun to do these physical activities to engage in something in a deeper way than just in our brains. So we have a fun one we're going to do this morning. But before we go there, here's the definition of ideal so you guys can see this. Ideal, a standard of perfection, a principle to be aimed at. Now, perfection is kind of an odd word for us in English, but um, the bigger meaning is this. An ideal is like, think of it as the way things ought to be, right? Things aren't this way now, but we know that things should be this way. And for things to not be this way, there's something that's off. There's something that's, that's wrong. Things are not this way, but they ought to be this way. Now, Christianity. In your experience, is Christianity built on practical principles? 
if this is your experience, <laughs> I, I value that very much, okay? Is your experience that Christianity is built on scientific fact that cannot be disputed? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely not, right? The Christian faith is built on what we call ideals. The Christian faith is not built on practical uh, experience. It's not built on realistic concepts. It's not built on scientific fact. The Christian faith is built on ideals, meaning it's built upon ideas and, and dreams even, pictures of how things ought to be, but ways that we know that they are not. This, I think, is one of the hardest things for us as Christians. One of the deepest problems that I encounter as a pastor is that I have a lot of people who are very passionate about this book right here. And so, in my early years, I tried my best to teach this book as clearly as possible. I thought to myself, if they only understood what this book was really saying, then we could follow it together. But there's one thing that I experienced very quickly was that most of our original stories, the things that we were told that the world is like, things that we were told the Bible says, the pictures we were told about God, I learned very quickly that most of our original stories don't line up with this book right here. And when you begin to, to create, to teach, a story that begins to come against your original stories, if I began to actually teach you what things a Christian really does do, how does a Christian actually handle their money? How does a Christian truly treat their neighbor? How does a Christian truly handle a business? How does a Christian actually vote? What if I began to tell you these things? What would you do when you begin to realize that all of these things go directly against the way that you already believe? Stories that you live by, things that you've been living by for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. What do you do when you realize that these things are going head to head? Something has to give, right? Something has to give. There's a problem. Because see, most of the stories that we were told in churches offered us a beautiful pill. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Step one, step two, step three, and you're going to feel better and go home and get back to life it's going to be just the way you've always lived it. Just go back and do what you're doing, but you're going to feel better doing it. But what happens if you begin to take this route? Okay, by the way, we're going to change the way that your marriage works. Everything in your marriage, we're going to rearrange it. You've been working your whole life just to get by and to stand that person who's in bed next to you, right? But, but we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to retrain everything about the way that you live out your household. Are you ready for that? You think a good parent looks like this. We're going to retrain all, everything you thought you knew about, going, about being a good parent, we're going to retrain that. Are you ready for that? You've made lots of money living this way, but guess what? We're going to retrain how you do everything with your money. You might even have experiential knowledge. You've learned that doing life this way works. We're going to retrain everything you know about how you handle your money. Are you ready for that? You've always believed that godly people vote this way. This is what matters to godly people. 
And now we're going to tell you that you have no concept what you're talking about. We're going to rewire you from the ground up according to this book. What happens when we're faced with that kind of a thing? I'll tell you what happens. We find another doctor. Amen? Exercise? Changing my eating? Getting sleep? Who's got time for that? Give me the pill. I would do the same thing. Now, actually, I need a card. If I can get one of those cards, I'm going to do this too. All right, here's what we're going to do. As I'm preaching, I want you to think back to the lowest moment of 2019. What was the lowest moment of 2019 for you? I do not want you to put your name on this. Do not identify this at all. Do not give any way to let anyone know it's yours. I'm going to try my best to have good handwriting, so you do not know this is mine. It will not work. (laughs) You will know this is mine. I want you to put your lowest moment of 2019 on this card. I will give you a heads up. I will not lie to you. What we will be doing at the end of the service, we'll be putting this in a basket. With my own hands, I will mix them up. And for everyone who puts a card on our way out, we're going to take a card with us. And we are going to pray for that person. Now, this is a substitute. This is a cheap one step closer. Now, I'm not offering you a pill. Here's what I'm offering you. I know that what we need is to get eight hours of sleep every night, to exercise four times to five times a week, and to eat so many calories, to eat so many fats, and so, you know, that's what I know we need, but can I really ask that of you in one day? No, I can't. This is one step closer. So what I'm doing is offering you a baby step, not a pill, a baby step. I'm saying, okay, I know you can't do all that, but how about this? For this week, can we try to go to bed at this time? So I'm asking, a half hour more of sleep for two weeks, and then tell me how you feel after that. That's what we're doing. See, what James 5 is talking about, I don't want time to open up the whole chapter, what James 5 is talking about, hidden in some Christian language that we're all way too comfortable with, is the truth that human beings need to have direct connection to each other in the way that we suffer. The actual words from James 5, confess your sins one to another. Now, it does not say confess your sins to your spouse who, you know, who already knows you're messed up anyway. Amen. Right? It does not say to confess your sins just to that one best friend who you trust because you trust no one else. One to another. I love the broadness of the one to another. What I would do if we could stomach it this morning is I would have us get all mixed up in a group, pair up, get in corners in the room, and confess to each other. Now, you're not ready for that. Everyone's like, okay, now it's for sure. We're definitely trying out First Baptist, (laughs) right? We're not doing that. Here's the truth. For you to experience being fully spiritually alive and healthy at some point in your life, you will be able to openly confess your worst moments, your failures, your weaknesses, the skeletons in your closet. If you get to that place, if you allow us to guide you there, you will come to a place where you can do that. And you will will experience the freedom that comes in living that way with nothing to hide from anyone. Now, we can't do that yet. It's okay. We're going to work towards that, though. 
And so what's coming out in this whole passage for us is the idea is that Christianity, to follow Jesus, to allow Jesus to reorient the way that we see the world. Here's what's really happening. To become a follower of Jesus means this. It's to have all of the original stories, all of the first category, the things that you believe, all of the original things the way you've always seen in the world. And then to have the second category, the, way, the things that you know are real because you've experienced them. This is my experience. I know these things are, you can't convince me otherwise. To follow Jesus is to take both of those two areas and to submit them, meaning to put them underneath these ideals. These beautiful fairy tale ideas of how the world should work. So today, we're confronting one of the most powerful experiential ideas that you have. You believe that people cannot be trusted. Now, I'm not guessing this is truth for every human in the room. You'll say, no, I trust this. No. What you'll do is say, no, well, I trust this person and this person and this person. Those are not people. Your life has taught you something, right? Your life has taught you that the worst pain in life comes from who? Come on. People, what type of people, by the way? Christians, amen. <laughs> Beautiful. Your experience, I, I could not prove you that this is not true. You've experienced this to be real, that the most painful things in life come from people who hurt you. It's happened to every person in this room. It's a story that you live life by, by the way. You have gone through life categorizing the people who will obviously hurt you, the ones who might hurt you, the ones who I'm sure would hurt me if I had a chance. <laughs> you get it, right? This person's kind of safe. This person's more safe. This person, I can, this person is safe. If you are lucky in this room, you found a handful of people that you fully trust. If you are an average, normal person in this room, you found a handful of people that you kind of trust with certain things, but no one person who you trust with everything. See, this is a powerful story. This is a belief. What I love about this graphic, it's so, it's so, it's so true. Being a Christian is learning to risk because you begin to start a journey of pretending things are real that truthfully right now are not real yet. An ideal is a picture of what should be. It's not what really is right now. See, the reason that so many people don't make sense of this book, the reason they don't understand how to read it, and they have to retranslate it multiple times, and they have to try to make sense of it, and, they, and honestly, the reason so many people get this book so jacked up it's because they think it's supposed to make sense. Come on, that was funny. Or not. People who can't read this correctly think this book is supposed to make sense. They think that when you read this passage, well, yeah, obviously, I'm going to live like that. That makes sense. No, no, no. If you read a passage and go, oh, there's no way I could do that, now you're reading accurately. Amen. This is the way it's supposed to work. These are ideals. 
The reason Jesus was talked about and the reason people could not comprehend, the reason his disciples always waited until the crowds left and they go, hey, did you really mean what you said? Because that's crazy talk. Okay. Okay. If you read it, you'll notice. Every time he teaches something, the crowds go, and they walk away. And then, you know, his small group goes, hey, that was really cool teaching and all. It was awesome shock effect. But what did you really mean? Like, what's the practical thing to do? And he'd say, yeah, I meant that. Oh. And then they go talk about how he didn't really, no, surely he didn't mean that. He's not really going to die, right? That's, that's crazy talk. You're not laughing, so it makes you feel like you haven't read the Bible before. Like you've, you've read this, right? This is how the disciples react to Jesus. That's psycho. What is he talking about? Oh, he's just playing a mind game. That's what it is, you know. Jedi mind tricks of Jesus. It should not make sense to you. Confess your sins one to another. And, and all of us go, yes, that's a sweet idea. But if I actually said, all right, find someone you don't know, pair up on the walls, tell them the worst garbage about you, what would you do? Not do it. Three of you would and freak out the rest of the church, right? <laughs> yeah. I got paired with Kelly Fortier, and you know what she told me? You know, that woman's crazy. And the reason that this is true is because we know this is impractical. We know it's not safe. Why would I ever go tell someone the worst things about me? Because I know what's going to happen. Just like what happened at that one job I had. Just like what happened whenever my kids are going to this one school. Just like what happened whenever I was in high school. Whenever I had these friends, people are going to talk about me. They're going to judge me. They're going to tell someone else about me. I always wonder why the Apostle Paul wasted so many pages of the Bible talking about gossip. Do you know how many times the Apostle Paul wastes his time talking about gossip? I never understood it until I was a pastor. I used to think the Apostle Paul was just really, I don't know, OCD. Why do you care about gossip? Aren't there like bigger things to be talking about, right? He would go from talking about eternity and angels and revelation that's hidden from all the world, and they go, oh, by the way, stop gossiping. What are you, what are you doing? I didn't realize what he was doing. If you're trying to create a, a community, a world, where you train people to believe something that they've experienced is impossible. For example, if you tried to create a community inside these walls, if I try to teach you, when you walk in these walls, everything you've learned about people outside those walls is not true in these walls. Outside of Grace Church, you've been told, I can't trust anyone. But in here, you can trust everyone. It didn't matter if you haven't ever talked to them before. You walk in this room, if they're a Christian, you can trust them with the worst moment in your life. The Apostle Paul knew this. If you're trying to train people to break off of everything, everything that they know is real about people on the outside of these walls, one experience of gossip can destroy the whole thing. One person Betraying a trust one time can ruin it in the entire room. To be a follower of Jesus is to truly believe and to live as if you are in a different world. It's ridiculous. That's why I love it. And this morning, one of the most powerful things you've been told is that you cannot trust other people. 
Ushers, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of start gathering them. I, I know I have. These ushers are the best, okay? So just, they're, they're rolling with it. Had this idea this morning, okay? And I said, hey, by the way, we're going to do this thing. Like, yeah, sure. If you could put them all in this basket. I had this other crazy idea for this Sunday, and um, my staff told me it's impossible to pull off on one Sunday. So we are going to plan a terrific Sunday that's going to be coming up. Uh, we'll be talking about it here in a little while. But I'm pretty excited about that. So here's the thing, right? Ideals. To an ideal being the way that we wish things were. The church, on paper, meaning it in the Bible, is supposed to be a place where everything is as it should be. That people would treat other people the way that they should. That we would live our lives and invest our time and energy and the, we would speak and act and handle our money, handle our time the way that we would ideally. You would almost be in this like utopia, right? And it all sounds great. It does, it does sound great. But it's not really for us. The idea of the church is this. And this sounds awful, but I, I want you to stay with me. This is the truth. After all the books and all the study and all the prayer I've done on the Scriptures, here is, is what I've learned about the church. The church is supposed to be the modern-day play fort. Do you remember a play fort? Do you guys ever, like, make a fort with blankets, you know what I'm talking about, over chairs? And then, like, someone would bump a chair and the whole thing would fall on you, really not safe, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you guys had terrible childhoods. Okay, but you, you, you understand the idea, right? It's supposed to be the perfect, ideal childhood play place. I love this, this uh, graphic. This is the place where we start pretending. This is literally the room where we learn how to pretend things are real that aren't real. We learn in this room how to believe that people can be trusted. But here's why. It isn't so that we have a great place to, you know, to play here. Because what the world needs are people like this. What the world needs are people who walk into unsafe environments, who walk into those places unguarded, with walls down, being vulnerable, honest, authentic. We learn in these walls to live our lives caring for everyone around us more than ourselves. Now, if we didn't hear, that would be an awesome experience. But the point is, is that when we walk outside of these walls and some ordinary person finds another human being who's like, hey, do you have a bill? Here, let me pay that bill for you. I don't even know your name. See, the whole idea is that you would pretend so well, that you would play pretend so powerfully in this place that when you go, uh-oh, I've gone long. It's great that it beeps me because then like you guys know, mm, he's cutting into our lunch. It's not playtime anymore. This is serious. <laughs> the whole point is that you would be weird enough to stand out. The shame of our time in, in America specifically is that Christians fit into the crowd just like everybody else. We don't behave any differently than anyone else. I guarantee you, we're coming up on election time, and I guarantee you there will be 
is many Christians and non-Christians spinning venom all over Facebook. They will fit in perfectly in that world. Hateful, mean, judgmental. It's Sunday. You're about to go to restaurants where every waiter is really angry that it's Sunday that you're coming in because they know that Christians are the worst tippers of anyone else. At least I know you're stingy there too, right? No, it's a joke. That was a joke. I'm kidding. I couldn't resist. You have to understand. It's like a beach ball. I just, I had to. It's just right there. Couldn't help it. Truth is, is that we fit in way too well. When you meet someone who has, who's idealistic, when you meet someone who is, who is so playful and full of energy that, that they're almost childlike, when you meet someone who's so loving and unguarded that they're just almost like an innocent puppy, like, you need to get your walls up. Stop trusting people. You're about to get hurt, you know. When you notice these people, you're like, what is wrong with you? Were you homeschooled, you know? Kidding. I was homeschooled for a while, too. I'm just joking. I love homeschoolers. Didn't you learn at public school that people are going to be mean to you? I mean, truthfully. I didn't know what a cuss word was until I went to homeschool. I came home and said, Mom, they're calling me this. That's not my name. And she said, that's a body part. <laughs> and no, that's not your name, Devin. You know? Welcome to public school. You know? People are going to be mean to you, right? We should stand out. We should. It's a problem that we don't. The reason that I keep doing what I'm doing is that there are way too many places where this book is being preached and the people walking out look just like the people who never even showed up because they're not hearing it. If you think that this book is supposed to make you feel good, have a great moment, and go back and be the same human being you were, if you haven't changed, if you from five years ago is the same person in this room today with minor tweaks, then you haven't been paying attention. What I do love about Grace Church is that people pay attention enough to realize whether or not it's going to work for them. Because if you listen at all, you should be getting a little bit uncomfortable. Because this book is supposed to challenge you in all the ways that matter. If you want to be fully spiritually, mentally, emotionally alive, this book and this church can help you get there. But it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to take time. It's going to have to go deep inside of you, not on the surface. So what we're going to do, um, we could bring the basket up here. We're going to end the service this way. Right? You're getting your steps in today, brother. Here's the guy, if we could just talk him into working out and eating right, you know. <laughs> I had to make you blush. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got it. All right, here's how we're going to end today. Same way that we normally do with the Eucharist. Right? If you guys would stand with me. Oh, wait, I forgot to mix it up. I have to mix it up a little bit. Now, if you put a card in here, okay? If you put a card in here, then on your way out, I'd like you to come up here and just grab one card. I am mixing them quite thoroughly. Try your best when you come up, when you read this, I would like you to try your best to put yourself in their shoes. 
You have been taught in this life that you only have enough energy and emotions and time to care about the people closest to you. One of the things of being a Christian is learning to literally connect full-heartedly with every human being around you. That sounds impossible and exhausting, and that, it should sound that way. You've also been taught that you cannot trust people. In a very small way, I want you to experience what it's like to take one step closer to trusting people. One of the things you're going to see on these cards are other people who have had a terrible moment this year, who've had a low point this year, who have been through you-know-what this year. And there's something about meeting people in our lowest moments that helps us feel a little bit safer around them. So, Father, we just pray this morning. We are not perfect, and you're never asking us to be that. But, Father, we know that you are. Jesus is our example, and we know that he is. And this morning, we ask that we would take a, a baby step towards living in a world where people can be trusted, where people are good and safe. They don't need to talk about us or hurt us or judge us to feel better about themselves. A place where people genuinely want to help and take care of us. A place where people can be good friends. Father, we ask that we would take a little step closer this morning. Father, we pray for these, these cards. Even though it's just a small gesture, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that for every ounce of honesty and vulnerability that was poured into these cards, we ask, Lord, that you would meet us, that you would see that offering, that willingness to go deeper with you. You would meet us 